I'm very excited to see if Britain is going to remain in the United the European Union or not. I am too, actually. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. If they leave, it's going to be a clusterfuck. I think they're going to stay, but that it's so close is very interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's that's important all by itself. Just like our country, number one sign of a fucked up country, 50-50 split. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good thing that we only have two parties to choose from. Yep, nothing <laughs> better than a two-party system. Nothing better than a binary to make sure to make sure everything is fair and uh, right. That uh, money can find its way to either the right thing or the wrong thing. That's the way life is. It's all a binary, right? Everything's a binary. There right. is no gray. Right. Fortunately, because that makes things easy. Right. Because, <laughs> well, education. Yeah. It's like wrestling. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. And Joe, how are, how was your day today? Oh, my day had a lot of uh, different words that sounded like curse words. Because I was, uh... It's okay, you can curse on here, it's fine. Fucking shit and piss. I'm mad. First we'll have a little chat. Then put on our incubus. Now it's time for Next Step Bats! All right, I'm here today with uh, Joe Bill and Mark Sutton uh, from Bass Prof. Hey, Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, good. Good, good. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, or me. Uh, normally, I'm here with Philip Simondet, but uh, he can't be here today because uh, he is working pictures or he doesn't exist uh he doesn't (laughs) so you guys are in town for the twin cities improv festival Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. and uh you're doing some workshops doing some shows and uh you're doing bass prov now bass prov is it's a unique show for a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. and for anybody who hasn't seen it uh could you explain kind of the theory behind it and what what you actually do with it Ooh. Theoretically, theory. <laughs> theory. I, I don't know that there is a theory. Um, the theory is, as you age as an improviser, you, you get don't want to you move. get more permission to sit on your ass <laughs> sure. and talk. Yeah. If you can just come up with a character and a prop. Well, the, the show is is basically a play. It's a one act play. Yeah, that is fully improvised based on audience suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, same location, same characters, always, always right. the same two guys, always in a fishing boat. And between them is uh, an actual cooler of beer. In right. each of their hands is an actual fishing pole. Right. And then everything else is just mimed or imagined. Mm-hmm. And it's um, in the introduction, we kind of say we went on a fishing trip this morning, so it takes place current day, mm-hmm. and that we're going to recreate a piece of our fishing trip this morning based on their suggestions via improvisation. So rather than us you know uh doing it out of time or whatever we tend to ground it at least the, at the beginning we tend to ground it in you know this happened today okay earlier right and then it's yeah. just essentially it's like a um it's a one act play that's in a way like a conversational herald or something so there's like three or four different conversations that happen and, and they circle back a little yeah they they do or they don't sure. they, um but it, i mean it usually has kind of a shape to it that sure that uh, where we're planting seeds at the beginning and then uh, seeing what grows and then kind of listening to the show and letting the show take us where it wants to go. Yeah, sometimes without us even realizing it. Yep. <laughs> I, kn- I know that the show has a tendency to start off fairly mundane mm-hmm. and, and become, th- through those mundane topics or the, the mundane conversation, much deeper and symbolic issues 
come to the forefront. That happens fairly frequently. Is, yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say more mm-hmm. times than not. Okay. And we, we tr- usually in, in our, we'll get, I'll get a suggestion and Mark will get a suggestion. Mm-hmm. And one of the suggestions is deep and one of the suggestions is not deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, shallow to use the water shallow Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. right since we're fishing right yes um and so it's you know we you you uh, it's often i'll try to ask the audience for something from the news in some way Mm -hmm. and then um if they give us something that's you know about katie perry then mark will go for something deeper darker Mm -hmm. um if we get something that's you know heavy then mark will Mark has a couple that he goes for that are more light. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, the lights go out when they come up. We're in the middle of talking and it's mm-hmm. uh, not always, but a lot of times we'll, we'll explore the mundane first to set up the illusion or to set up the expectation that we're just going to be too, you know, the hillbilly blue collar comedy sure. type guys. But in doing that, a lot of times we're, we're setting up metaphors that mm-hmm. we can choose from to then address the bigger issue later. Right. Yeah. When you when you started the show, was that the intention? Was the intention to be able to find you, you know these these characters who uh, you're you're sort of juxtaposing the uh, the expectation uh, of the audience? Like you know these are two beer guzzling like like you said almost hillbilly types uh, that have this depth and this like thoughtfulness to them uh and they're willing to disagree and argue and uh and push each other to get to i mean it's it when i've seen the show it's the definition of neither character has the answer but it's through the uh argument and interpretation of each other's ideas that they're able to get to greater heights yeah i i think one of the one of the thought processes early on was kind of based on something we were talking about before we started. And that is that, that idea that everything is not black and white. And we wanted to show these guys as being more like how people actually are. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they believe one thing and sometimes they believe something else. And, and they have feelings about, issues that maybe don't all align with the standard thought process of how somebody should, uh, depending on where they live and how smart they are and all of those things. So part of the fun of it is to do that, is to build that assumption and then, you know, break it. You know, the other piece is we're both originally from Indiana. Right. And so there's... I was going to ask about Mellencamp, but go ahead. Yeah, no, we, we, we love Mellencamp. But I think, um, you know, there's something about something about Indiana people where like just when you think they're dumb, they're they're not. Right. And so in a way, without even talking about what that is, we, we know that there's Indiana when we went to school in Indiana together. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, our the accents of our characters are not that far from us. Right. <laughs> like especially when we're drinking. <laughs> but. But it kind of uh, it, it captures that that sensibility. Um, you know, we've we've said before it's in Indiana. There's people that the they'll go to work at the factory, uh, and then three o'clock everybody punches out so they can run to the tavern mm-hmm. and yell out the answer to the Jeopardy question faster than the next guy. They'll go back to work, punch back in, and work an extra half an hour to make up the difference. And so, 
that you know there's uh you you can be a complete dumbass but it doesn't mean that you're devoid of or, or incapable of kind of deeper thought right yeah and um and then the other thing is is there's you know there's just there's a way that indiana people give each other shit merci- mercilessly but mm-hmm. it's like the people that you give the most shit to are your best best buds and best friends mm-hmm. and you'd kind of be lost without them because nobody else would take the sh- type of shit you give each other mm-hmm. uh and so you know there's something there's just there's something authentic but also kind of like therapeutic and it you know like mark said it's uh we don't have clear-cut conservative or clear-cut liberal ideas right we um we find our way into we both know if one of us kind of goes down one road will give that person the opportunity to then like claim what's what's the other side of the coin for right. themselves and um and, and that was probably more discovered than decided yeah i think so at the top just kind of evolved out of the way the show happened is it just because it makes it more interesting rather than having so. full-on agreement yeah yeah and 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 so much of it so much of that discussion is you have to be impassioned right or otherwise you're just talking about bullshit right right and and, and so there has to be that you know, we, we have to take it upon ourselves to have investment emotionally mm-hmm. to keep the audience involved because we are just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Have you found that the show is hard to describe to people that haven't seen it? Like uh, th- that the elevator pitch is difficult? A little bit. A little bit. I mean, anytime you say that it's really a play, people are like, what? Yeah. And and there, it's more interesting to me how other people have described the show. Yeah. yeah. Right? One reviewer called it a white trash my dinner with andre uh <laughs> one one person compared it to mark twain uh um, i can see that i yeah. can see the mark twain you know comparison. and then in the improv world people started using the term mono scene uh, sure. you know it's like oh basprov is a mono scene and i was always like well isn't by nature, the fact that it is a scene make it mono. I mean, yeah. it's just one. It's just a scene. It's yeah. like uh, so. I don't know. It's the, uh, it's part of that thing we talk about it. The desire to label yeah something. You know, and it's it doesn't. Just, well, that's just a show. That's why I kind of open with it's unique. It, it it kind of defies categorization in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it's um. I think the words we use without like looking to label it is is we're just going to do do you know thirty to sixty minutes in real time. Sure. And so we, we would kind of refer to it real time. And if I, what I do is, is I'll just say um, it's called bass prob. It's where bass fishing meets improv. And then I don't explain anymore. And okay. usually that does the trick and it makes people laugh. Mm-hmm. And then I'll send them to our Facebook page and say, go watch a video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I think it is one of the few shows or was, you know, definitely early on that, you know, exact same place, mm-hmm. exact same guys. Mm-hmm. No extra characters, no, you know, sometimes we have somebody sit in the boat, but, you know, for us, it's like we're playing the same guys every time. Right. You're just seeing different shades of them all the time. Sure. So that's fun, too. It was a tactical decision in the beginning to do that and not to, like, jump out of the boat and do scenes, because we thought about that for just half a second, Mm -hmm. and we just thought, no, we want to do this because nobody else is doing that. And, you know, we've been playing together since college. And if we'd gotten really comfortable with pretty much any group that we play with at Annoyance or with Georgia Pacific at I.O., like we're, we're pretty comfortable and confident. But then just the thought of like, man, let's just sit there and talk and not get out of a boat for an hour. Was that a significant challenge? Like, is that one of the reasons why you took it on to begin with? Y- yeah, that interested me. It, 
because it it didn't feel it didn't feel safe. Not that it felt dangerous, right? Because it's you know it's like I I know Mark, but but it just I just think because it hadn't been done, and it's kind of like the audacity of like people are just going to sit there and watch you, yeah. Be two guys from Indiana, like well, yeah, let's and talk. You're literally taking the talking head scene and putting it in the faces of the audience. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah, or it's kind of a fly on the wall. You know, that's the other thing. There's people. A lot of times uh, after shows, we'll we'll have people say to us, "Oh man, that's like my uncle, and my yeah, my uncle and his brother, sure. or, or his buddy." Um, and sometimes, haven't you ever been like driving down like a country road and you'll see like two dudes out there fishing? And you're like, I wonder what they're talking about. Or or leaning against a old truck and drinking a beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. King of the Hill style. Yep. It's like yep. In the middle of a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. It's uh, it's just something that felt real to us, and that and that maybe we didn't know at the time that it was such a broadly accessible mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, the technique of starting in media res. Uh, like right in the middle uh, that it, it's, it's a, it's a great technique. Uh, what does it do for you guys uh, for this particular form? I, I think that it, you know, is, is it Susan? Susan messing often says that she, you know, she looks at a scene as you're walking by somebody's house yeah, and you peek in the window mm-hmm. and that's what you see in the window as you're walking by and then you don't get to see anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was going on before you walked by the house and it'll keep going on after you walk by. Mm -hmm. That's just what you get to see as you walk by. And I think this show has that same feeling and we want to create that same feeling is they've been out on that lake for hours and you get to see 40 or 45 minutes of that whole morning. You get to see that much. Sure. And which is why the show ends like it does. It ends like it does because there is no outline. There is no button. There's no there's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. We just keep talking. This conversation goes on for who knows how long. Right. And the but the point that you get to share as an audience member is over now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there there very much is that that kind of eavesdropping feel to it, which is nice. I think one of the nuances of it is whichever one of us starts talking, the behavior of the other one is always in the process of listening. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think that's something that because we know each other so well, mm-hmm. either one of us could start talking in the middle of something. And we likely we've heard it from the other one before. <laughs> <laughs> some variation. Yeah, some variation. <laughs> and it's it's probably not going to be about the heavy topic. Sure. It, it's it's likely to be literally or, you know, A to C off the, the banal topic. Sure. Or it's going to be something about either one of our families because we have kind of there's like a, a loose mythology about the families that Earl and Donnie are from. Sure. Or it's just going to be other. And that other could be, you know, maybe it's something in the world or pop culture or whatever of the day. Um, or something because Mark and I both will read trashy magazines <laughs> and gossip magazines on planes and stuff. Sure. So there is that part of us that, you know, we both just hate the bullshit of like why we give a shit about the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. there's probably about 20 a thing, about 20 different things that are the same category as Kardashians. Sure. And just based on his the inflection out of his mouth in the first two seconds, I'm like, oh, we're going other. <laughs> and and that's how you're in that state. And I think um when when some people try 
I think when younger improvisers try to start scenes in the middle, mm -hmm. it's usually the person who's listening that doesn't carry off the illusion. Yeah, I think that that's probably correct. They're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's that matter of trust and familiarity, maybe. And repetition. Sure. Yeah. You know, just the practice of doing it, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In what ways do you two challenge each other on stage? Do you mess with each other on stage? Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've known each other for thirty years. Sure. So, I mean, really, the, like the word challenge is kind of funny because it's like, it's just, I mean, we've probably been challenging each other for since we met. But I mean, it's <laughs> part of our dynamic as sure. we, as we mess with each other. Sure. Can you put your finger on any specific? Well, there's been a couple of shows mm -hmm. where he didn't know what I was doing, and then and I knew he didn't know, and I just pushed the shit out of it, and 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 he didn't get it till the end. And there was a couple of times where he's ambushed me. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. And that's those shows are few and far between, but when they've happened, it's it's like an epic. There, there was was it Minneapolis? Was Mad Cow in Minneapolis? No, that was Miami. That was it in Miami. There, yeah, there was there was one time I took a double suggestion uh, of Mad Cow Disease and Michael Jackson, <laughs> and um, and I decided I just decided that I would talk about Michael Jackson, but I would I would have Mad Cow Disease. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and Mark had some other topic. Uh, I forget what it was, but we were on. Maybe it was like healthcare or something. Or I don't know. Yeah, some some shit that was like fairly dry. And 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 like Mark, we were we were kind of building into like metaphor about that. And and then Michael Jackson was coming up. And then through Michael Jackson, I became more crazy. And it just dropped in that um, Earl sometimes is a food a food and beverage consultant. And I had gotten back from England, and I had found they had the most delicious steaks in the world there. And so I, that was all the clue I was going to give him. And I had gotten back like a month before. So over the course of this show, I just, mad cow disease starts manifesting. And I'm like <laughs> barking and chirping like like Tourette's on, sure. on acid. And Mark, I mean, Mark, his character and Mark the person were literally fucking pissed off. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I was so angry <laughs> and the audience was in on it but he had no idea and we had friends in the audience obviously because it's a festival and several people came up afterwards and they're like dude we thought you were going to kill him literally <laughs> just by the look in your eyes because i did not get it yeah i didn't get yeah, it yeah, yeah. and and he's doing all this stuff and just like going off the rails and i'm like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> you're ruining this show <laughs> And and then finally, with maybe five minutes left in the show, I got it. You figure, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was and it was such of it was like somebody who hadn't taken a shit in a week finally took a shit. Like his face just like cleared, and it was just like oh. And the and the the audience like half the audience like everybody cheered and like half the people were like jumping out of their seats with their arms in the air like like he got the it. payoff like like sure. we. Like we were doing like a short form guessing game, but it had been over the. This was like an hour show, mm -hmm. and he got it. And people, oh went, god, people went ape shit. Yeah. Well, and then the other one was, we, you know, oftentimes the audience will align with one of us or the other, depending upon the point of view that the character takes. And sure, and my character oftentimes takes the the conservative point of view, which right. is not as popular. Oh yeah. In the shows, in the places that we do them, mm -hmm. right? So I speak that side, 
and we used to do the the Seattle Festival many many years in a row. We did the Seattle Festival, which is very liberal, you know. Mm-hmm. And Seattle, what? No. So, but there's also, I mean, it's a little like Minneapolis, where like the liberals are real liberal, the conservatives are real mm-hmm. conservative, but yeah. our audience is mostly very liberal. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Joe's always kind of the darling up there, you know, in those <laughs> arguments because he's taking on that point of view. So I decide one one year, I'm like, we're gonna change the game a little bit. So. I uh, had on a flannel shirt, which I often wore in the show. Yeah. Underneath the flannel shirt, I had purchased uh, an Obama T-shirt. This was back in 2008 <laughs> or early, or yeah, early 2008, that year of the election. I had purchased an Obama T-shirt. Uh-huh. And he buttoned so, his shirt up all the way. Couldn't to the see neck. it. And I don't play without. I don't play with my glasses. And when I don't have my glasses on, I can't see. So at the start of the show, I just see Mark in a, it's like, oh, he's got it all buttoned up. You know, yeah. as, as always, yeah. like, you know, that's what, that's, that's a call Mark would make. Oh, he buttoned up his shirt. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so then we go, we go on stage. I forget what the hell the suggestions were. I don't know what the suggestion was, but we, it starts out very banal. We're mm-hmm. just talking sure. yeah. a couple minutes in. I said, man, it's, it's hot out here today. It's really hot. I take the shirt off and I reveal the T-shirt. And you had no idea, no, did you? No, because I'm standing up there. I'm standing up there and I'm casting and I'm fishing. I'm, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like flipping a spoon out in the weeds. And I'm like like trying to pull a, the spoon through the murky water of the sure. weeds. And I'm all in this magic if, you know, like I'm feeling the weight of the spoon. So I'm just doing some hardcore object work. And all of a sudden, I'm not even looking at him. And all of a sudden, the audience starts laughing and cheering. And I have no idea. I'm like, damn, I'm. I'm doing some pretty good mind fishing space here. work. And then and then he kept trying to get my attention, but I was like so invested in the shit. <laughs> and I finally like I look at him and I and I look at him and everybody laughs and I don't know what's going on and I can't fucking see. So then I sit back down and change my lure and I'm looking at him and I don't know what yeah, the hell is sure. different. And then I and I notice his shirt, and in my eyes it looked like the O looked like a C from the Comfort Inn and Suites hotels. So my first impression was like, he's got what is that Comfort Inn? Why is he wearing a Comfort Inn and Suites? Oh, it's fucking Obama. And then and he had set him again. I don't remember what the topic was, but he had set himself up so that you know. In Seattle, I would usually like articulate the liberal point of view, mm-hmm. but he set himself up so he had, and I was—I mean, that was—I was chasing the whole show. <laughs> and it's like, oh god damn it! But um, yeah, he got me good on that one. There's other ones. Uh, if you go to the if you go to the uh, Facebook Bass Prof page, you can see a uh, another recent show in Miami where we both we both kind of went off the rails together as the the ending presented itself yes. to us. That's yeah. a good teaser. But yeah, okay. that's. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do this this long together, then I mean, the audience wants to see you fuck with each other. I think. Yeah, you guys have been doing this for quite a while. Uh, yeah, I did the first first one in two thousand one, and you've been improvising for quite a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> I learned my first improv games in school in nineteen seventy seven. Okay. Wow. So what is it about improv that excites you still now? That I'm making a living off of it. Sure. And that it it doesn't feel like work. Right. And I get to travel all over the world because of it. Those are three right off the top of my head. (laughs) Pretty great things. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. So it's still fun even though it's crap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. 
and it's uh, and I've been more improv's a thing that'll also help me from going into like my genetic Irish predisposition to just like be dark and serious and angry. Yeah, and it's like. And especially like partners like Jill, who reminds me like lighten the fuck up. Sure, Jill Bernard. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jill Bernard, lighten the fuck up, laugh. Um, and then also like learning to play in different styles that I first thought I was like, oh, that's that's bullshit. I'm not gonna play that. <laughs> but then like going to you know, playing comedy sports, playing some short form, playing maestro, and playing theater sports and different narrative formats. You mm-hmm. know, there's always something new. Yeah. So far. <laughs> yeah. I just like the lack of uh, restriction. You know, it's um, it's one of those few places in your life where you're not beholden to anything, really. Yeah, you're just you just do you just do what needs to be done right then, mm-hmm. you know, or what feels like it should be done right then, and see what happens. I really like what uh, Butch Roy. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys know Butch, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Butch Roy told me this once. Um, I don't think really as a life lesson, just as a yeah. He told me why why he fell in love with improv which was that he had never found anything that allowed him to use everything that he had ever learned. Uh, ah. uh which true. True. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You access just about every part of your life at some point or another, which mm-hmm. is great. And yeah. it also inspires you to keep learning things. Yeah. To keep filling the quiver with more arrows. You yeah. Know? I think it's, Right in parallel with that is like I've been in and out of therapy for years. Sure. So sometimes when you're like in a fucking things up cycle and you're like, God, I'm just I've done enough therapy that like now, <laughs> like now I know how to use therapy in an improv scene. Sure. Um, <laughs> more effectively than I can apply it to my actual life. <laughs> so I feel like the checks I got to shrinks are worth it. <laughs> Is it okay to say on the podcast that uh, that you can talk to Joe for a minute while I go to the bathroom? Oh, yeah, do it. This for is a sure. podcast bathroom break by me. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Sutton. It probably means that we're coming up on 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are. Right? Yep. See, that's because uh, it was 30 minutes since the last time he peed, and this is what being an improv partner <laughs> truly is. At, at least for me, uh, it it makes me value all the stuff that I learned that you know never did end up being quote-unquote useful. Mm-hmm. Because it's useful now. And how long have you been doing it? About five, six years. Oh, wow. What's the difference between like the confidence that you had when you started doing improv juxtaposed against like the kind of confidence that you have today? Uh, in general or as a performer? So let's go like in general, but then uh, as it applies to like standing on stage or playing with different people. Um, well, I had acted for a long time and uh, uh. before that. So the the being on stage part, uh, I was pretty comfortable with, mm-hmm. but uh, but as a as an improviser, it's holy shit. Like yeah, I, I'm I'm so much more comfortable and confident now than six years ago. Oh yeah, and I'm a more comfortable and confident teacher. I'm mm-hmm. a, you know more comfortable and confident meeting new people, and I, I was never great at that. Yeah. Uh, Stuff like that. It's it's uh it's amazing to me that as you meet actors of different ages, yeah, the they always kind of want to do improv, but the more they've done acting without improv, the more terrified they are to do improv. When, when I first started acting, uh, I learned from um, a couple of people that 
absolutely hated improv so that got instilled very early in my mind Mm -hmm. that improv is bad it's like anti-acting yeah uh and it wasn't until uh jen scott who's uh the best the best isn't she amazing love her uh she basically completely turned my mind around on that and well is isn't it funny that improvisation is what actors try to make their acting look like yes yeah so that's the that's exactly right (laughs) You want to look like it's all just happening instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this it, it might be off. Have you ever talked to any of the guys from Improvised Shakespeare? Uh, no, no, I haven't. So I'll burn. I'll burn one of their best stories. Sure. Yeah, uh, do it. They uh, they did a thing with Second City at Lyric Opera in Chicago, and it turns out that Patrick Stewart was there. Awesome. And Patrick Stewart saw them and loved them. And our friend Blaine, who runs Improvised Shakespeare out of I.O. Chicago. Talk to Patrick Stewart, cut to four months, five months later in New York at St. Mark's Theater in the village. Fucking Patrick Stewart walks out on stage with them and they and they sell out in New York and the audience oh, normally man. is full of like screaming Beatles fans. Sure. You know, Shakespeare nerds. Yeah. They go, it's like there's the the normal scream, and then everybody took a breath and blew through the roof. <laughs> So before the show, Patrick Stewart's in his Shakespeare stuff, sure. and they're passing energy, and they're doing a, a, a warm-up, and he's kind of visibly nervous. Mm-hmm. And then they start doing um, word games using the language, mm-hmm. and uh, they kind of finish the warm-up, and Patrick Stewart like kind of went to nervous to kind of calm, but in his head. And he, he comes over to her friend Blaine and puts his arm on his shoulder, and he, he says to Blaine, and go, he says, uh, all right, so... I believe I figured out the secret. Uh, secret to what, Patrick? It's listening, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if I just, as long as I listen, I'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's fucking Sir Patrick Stewart <laughs> yeah. telling her buddy, who's great. Yeah, but he's saying, "Do I just have to listen?" <laughs> and that's yep. Yeah, that's great. Yes, that's about that's about what it is. Awesome. All right. Are you guys ready to do a little improv? Sure. Sure. Next up, Brad! So uh, he's he's sitting behind me, and uh, he's... I don't... Look, look, I'm not an expert flyer, okay? I am not an expert... I wasn't going to accuse you of being an expert flyer. No, I'm just saying, I, but I do know how to behave on an airplane. Right, right. Because take out the airplane part, right. I, I have been taught how to behave. All right. Right? So he's one of those guys behind... You, you know those people... Uh, Freddie, you know those people that um, they they feel like if they're not happy, they have to let everybody around them know how unhappy they are. Oh sure, my my pops like that. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he, he makes sure that everybody's unhappy if he's unhappy. Right, right. Well, T- this yeah, this guy's he's same unhappy thing. with Tennessee. Oh really? Yeah. Well, anytime Tennessee's down the toilet, he oh boy. You mean University of Tennessee? University. Of Tennessee. Oh, I see. I, I thought you meant the whole state. Of Tennessee, like he had a grudge against the whole state. No, uh, anytime the football program's not doing oh, so well, right, right. that's just his targeted, his targeted angers against the volunteers. I feel as if he projects everything, all of his emotions into that football program. So, does he have any negative emotion, complaining emotion left over for anything else? Sure, because I think, uh, you know, negativity is like a cold. You yeah. know, once you catch a cold, it's hard oh, to shake yeah. the cold. Hard. Sometimes you get those cold, you think you're done with the cold, but then you're not done with the cold. It comes back. Just have a good day. 
Especially, lull. It takes a lull. Right. It's not gone. Especially the airplanes, it brings yeah. it out of people. Right. And so, you know, if it's one of those dudes behind you where it's like, hey, there's a button on my fucking armrest for a reason. That means I can, I, I, I can tip back. I got a right to tip back. Well, that's what this guy's thing was, right? So we're getting ready to land, and the woman says, uh, put your seat back up. And he said, I tried. And she said, well, you might want to try again. And she walks away. And he says under his breath, but loud enough for everybody to hear it, don't don't be a smart aleck lady. And I'm thinking... Oh, see now. That's like out of earshot of her? Yeah. And I'm thinking... Uncalled for. Well, and or what? Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Who are you talking are to? Are you going to beat up a stewardess? Get, can you call them stewardesses still? No, nope, you got to call flight them flight attendants. Yep, flight oh, I'm attendants. sorry. All right. Yep. Well, you're going to beat up a flight attendant. Like, oh, to what end are you making that threat? Right? Well, if he's putting that threat out in the air so that you can hear it, it's probably, it's probably uh, like nobody can hear me except y'all can hear me except that that woman can't hear me. So I'm just saying. It's right. like it's almost passive aggressive out right. here. I get the feeling feeling that he uh he wanted some validation. Exactly. He's that he's that person who stands in line, like when you're waiting in line, and he looks at everybody else in line and goes, "Is this crazy? Is this crazy or what?" Because he wants somebody to go, "Oh, oh you're yeah, you're that's right, crazy. yeah, you're right, it's crazy." Well, that's his mama's fault. Yeah, she didn't hug him enough when he was little. I don't talk to people like that. No, so. my dad never hugged me. Not at all. What? No. Come Ever? on. Ever? He did once when Tennessee won the championship in 96. That was the one time he hugged you? One time he hugged me. I happened to be in the room when it happened. That was it. That's kind of sad. That is, that's that's not kind of sad. That's that like, is sad. You okay? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I made peace with it. But yeah, that was the one time. And just because he didn't seek you out, you had to be in the, you just happened to be in the room. I happened to be standing right next to him. He threw his arms up in the air, spilled his old Milwaukee, and then threw his arms around me. And there's no pictures of you as a child, like before your memory kicks in, of him hugging you, holding you? I was always my mama holding me. But was it a full arm hug, or was it like the arm around the oh, shoulder? Oh, no, it, it, was, it was a bear hug. Oh, well, that, yeah, well he, he, he almost lifted something. me up off the ground, and I'm, yeah. I'm slightly bigger than him. Yeah, well, that's How'd that's that make something. you feel? It was wonderful. I still remember. Did you tell him that? No, we don't talk like that. We don't talk like yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's the Kentucky side of the family. You know, I have heard that if you hold a hug for more than 20 seconds, uh, it creates a positive endorphin rush in both you and the huggy. That's called oxytocin. That's your hugging That's your hugging neurotransmitter, oxytocin. That's what humans get from uh, from human contact. Not just brief human contact, but where you get through the wall of hey this is uncomfortable and then it's like oh no this isn't uncomfortable at all and that discomfort you feel from like what's it hugs been there 10 seconds like that's, hey that's enough that's enough and then you go on there's psychology that says that's your brain being afraid that the hug's not gonna go on so you have the fear of the hug ending and then when the hug doesn't end you get euphoria because that's the rush of the oxytocin going through your brain how long does it go before you start going, this is weird again? Like, Yeah, I, I suppose I don't know, it's probably something in an HR manual somewhere describes yeah. that. But That sounds too long for me. That's that's a long time. Yeah, 20, but that's about, but once you have that euphoria, I mean, uh, well, then it's like, are you making eye contact? Or are you not making eye contact? 
How can you hug and make eye yeah, contact? Yeah, that's impossible. Well, you've, if, well, you, you like you can put your head, you can put your head next to each other on the side, and then you have that hug, and then sometimes you can remain hugging, and then you pull your head back, and when you pull your head back, that makes your pelvises touch, and then that that's when it maybe. That's really weird. That's when it gets weird. What if they do? What if it's the uh, the the start with a hug, and then slide off to hands on either side of your head, and then they're just looking at you. With their hands holding your head in their hands. My little bubba. Like my little bubba. Right? Except it's a grown person. Oh. Oh, then it's like uh so they're so your head's being cradled in their hands? Yeah, they got their hands, you know, holding your head like that and they're just looking at you like you're really something. Something like that. So you know, all that just makes me real uncomfortable. Well that's because your daddy never hugged you. Uh, maybe. Uh, but yeah, do you hug? Do you like hugging other people? Not anymore. No. Do you ever no. put your hands on the side of anybody else's face? Only to slap them. Oh, only to slap it's them. Quick. It's you hold quick. their face and then you slap them. No, it's like a really quick hold as I'm slapping. <laughs> as it's a it's a it's drive a by embrace. hold. Like, no, it's not even a it's it's a slap. <laughs> He's talking about just a <laughs> just straight up slap. Shit out yeah. of somebody. it's a straight up slap. I don't slap people very often, but when no. I, when I do, it's physical contact. Sure, yeah, well, it's sure. bad manners. I mean, it's like that's all. That's almost worse manners than sitting behind somebody in a plane making idle threats about a flight attendant. Right. Really? Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm curious about this now. Yeah. Surely, your father had other ways of showing affection. Maybe, maybe he, uh, you know, washed your car, or you're probably too young to have a car. But was there something else that he did to replace the hug? He did tell me I did a good job a few times after I mowed the lawn. He told me I did a good job one time after a baseball game. Yeah. How much money did he give you? He never gave me nothing. Oh, well, then those words are idle, I think. Yeah, no. Not not even maybe like like a punch in the shoulder or, you know, something like that. Some sort of like awkward, oh, there you go, buddy. One of those. It's got to either be contact or money, I think. Like you got to get punched, a little back slap. Slapping the ass. Oh, backslap. I wasn't even thinking about backslap. backslap. No backslapping? No. Uh, he did He did give me a couple of backslaps. Yeah. Here and there. Same thing after the lawn. There weren't any after the lawn. Uh, one time when we were at a zoo, uh, he, he's like, uh, we were at the gorilla exhibit, and uh, and he's like, uh, those sure are some funny monkeys. Slapped me on the shoulder and walked away. Hmm. Huh. Which is also ironic because gorillas are not monkeys; they're nope. apes. Yeah, they're apes. They're your greatest of all great apes. Yeah, so yeah, your 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 daddy probably just had a little bit of a learning deficit, uh, not to mention an empathy deficit. So, it's kind of a miracle that you're that you're okay. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, my my daddy never finished high school though. Yeah, we know. My uh, yeah, my mama talks about your daddy a lot. He was uh, not the not the favorite person in their family I mean, I don't whoa want, well let's I don't let's explore that then right well, yeah why, why so, wasn't he the so favorite? maybe yeah maybe your mom has an insight into why his dad could not show affection because your mom very roses much a very, hugger roses she's a very she very huggable everybody. and huggy hug that's because she that's because she's the oldest one in the oh, family okay. your, your mama hugs me every time i see her yeah see? no she's see? a hugger sometimes she even cradles my face a little bit yep Yep, and it's and my, very touchy. Yeah, my, my mama touchy. she'll cradle your face for two reasons. She'll look in your eyes and say, "You are just wonderful and perfect and a blessing to life," 
or she'll cradle your face and she'll say, you are the dumbest son of a bitch I've ever seen in my life. She's done both of those things That's to me. That's it. Well, they mean the same thing. Yeah. It just means. Bless your heart. It means bless your heart. Yeah. Bless your heart. It means bless your heart. You just, you just can't do anything right. Bless your heart. Makes it all okay. But your daddy, but your daddy, Terry, he was, he was the baby. And, uh, he was kind of the oopsie child. And so, you know, you get six kids in the family, you get five in a row, and then sure. you got an oopsie child, you know. For, what? My daddy was an accident? Well, I mean, they weren't planning. My daddy used to talk all the time about how he was the crown jewel. He was the cherry on the top of the Sunday. Well, that's what his mama told him. Yeah. Oh. If if the cherry if the cherry were um were this, if you wanted a strawberry Sunday, and uh-huh. Uh-huh. the guy behind the counter said, "We're out of strawberries. I got a cherry," and you say, "Oh, all right." Then, then yes, then Ooh. yes, he was. That, that and that was see that was a problem because because once Grandma had your daddy, then her relationship and and my mama's relationship went to shit. Oh, oh no! And that's why because all all the attention like she didn't think she's gonna ever be able to have another baby at all. She didn't think she's ever gonna be able to have another oh, baby. Dang! And then and then she went ahead and had Terry, and that was your daddy. Oh no! So he got all that attention. He got all that attention from Grandma, and then uh, you know he got a little bit full of himself and didn't really think about other people. I, I know the feeling. I was an oops baby too. You were an oops baby. Oh, yeah, I but I, you know, one. I handled it a lot different. You know, I'm much more humble and uh, well, easy going yeah. than a lot of your I oops mean, babies. I mean, relative to how to to what you were, you know, you, you've not always been the most humble person. Not always. I'm not sure what you mean. Well, it's just not of the nature of youngest kids to be humble. I mean, you know, that, that guy, I, I would wager the guy sitting behind you on that airplane talking shit under his breath about mm-hmm. that flight attendant, mm-hmm. probably a youngest child. Could be. Probably Could a youngest be. child. If that was an oldest child, he'd, he'd be putting his seat back up because oldest childs, whether whether they're trying to break out or, or whether they're trying to uh, do everything the parents say, they're, they're pleaser people and they want to make sure everybody's being pleased around them. True, true. The babies, you're just contrary. I never put my seat back on an airplane. That's the very definition of contrary. It doesn't. It doesn't really do you much good. I, I think they ought to eliminate the button altogether. Uh, I mean, what good is is that six inches leaning back? That's not. That doesn't. You don't benefit at all from that. Well, you know why they got it, America. You go to Europe. You go to Europe, you jump on planes in Europe, ain't no buttons. Nobody has the option of moving back because everybody's the same. All the seat backs just sit up the same way. There's not the expectation. There's the same amount of space between every seat, front to back of the plane. I feel like it's a test to see if you're a dick or True. not. Are you a dick? Or do, you, do you value the person who you don't know behind you? Mm-hmm. Or at least are you going to turn around and give them a heads up? Hey, I'm going to put my seat back. Is that okay with you? Well, now that's the good manners. Like that's in, good manners. In in your exercising your freedom to to uh, uh, use the the advanced technology around you, can you be considerate of others and not uh, engaging that technology with some type of sense of uh, uh, righteousness, some sense of entitlement? You know, I'm not entitled to that space. I mean, maybe I am, but I'm going to act like this is a thing we're going to share together. Yeah. See, I feel like that space was paid for by the person behind. Because I feel like that space in front of me, I paid for. You paid for the space that your chair can hold you in. 
including the space back that it goes. Just like the person behind you, that person, they paid for their space plus the little extra space they could go back, and it ripples all the way back to the back of the plane until you get to the restroom aisle. But what about that guy because he can't put his chair back? Well. And he's paying the same amount as the guy in front of him, but the guy in front of him can take his chair back into his face, but he can't go any farther because he's in front of the bathroom. That's why I feel like it's a test. There you go. Well, that person probably just didn't have the initiative to, like, you know, step up and, and get the right get the right uh, seat on the plane. So that's what he gets for not, you know, for not working. I wish I could afford first class. Oh, I've flown first class before. Yeah? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been up there. It's oh, nice. Oh, man, it's nice. Nothing like warm so cashews. Nice. Oh. God, warm. Like cashews and, are good enough, but warm. getting the drink before you even leave the ground. Oh. Yep. They give you a drink. Yep. That's crazy. That just sounds luxurious. It's nice. It's good. Warm yeah. cashews? Except now, oh, yeah. now the downside is they've changed, right? The airline's got cheaper now. So sometimes, depending on how long the flight is, because I've done it two times in my life. One flight was a little longer than the other. So on the longer flight, dinner, food. Oh, yeah. Right? Wow. With a, with a, with a, a tablecloth. Yeah. And, so, a, and a big silverware, napkin. The whole thing. Silverware. Wow. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, this is a good deal, right? So the next time I get bumped up there, I get I get bumped up to first class, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. And I go on, it's a shorter flight. No food. No food. Just nope. nuts. But warm nuts. They are warm nuts. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing, nothing quite like a warm nut. Mm-hmm. But if that's all you're going to get. It's you know. disappointing because it, 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 your expectations were set. They were up here, right? And then they were dashed. Well, and then all I could think of, you know, being the the nice person that I am, all I can think of was, I didn't pay for this, so mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal to me. But this poor son of a bitch next to me, he paid two thousand dollars more for this seat. The only difference between this seat and coach is a bowl of warm nuts. That's right. Those are fifteen hundred dollar nuts. Well. Well, that's a that's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for pa- patriarchal entitlement. I was just thinking the fact that you got to fly once for fir- on first class and got that nice meal is like that one time I got a hug from my daddy. There kind you the go. Kind of the same. Did you get warm nuts from it? I mean, you know, metaphorically. 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 Yeah. Um, afterwards, maybe that slap on the shoulder was like my warm nuts. Like we're Maybe. not, I'm not your testicles. Get, no, get, I'm not get your head I'm, off. Your, that's not, not what bows. I'm saying. No, it's like the buttery taste of a cashew in your mouth that, sure. that you've experienced. Which are also not <laughs> testicles. No, it's not the same thing. No, it's no. not the same no. thing. No. Um, but otherwise I've just been flying coach with my daddy the entire rest of my life. With an empty seat in the middle. Thank God. Just an empty buffer seat between you and him. Well, at least it's some type <sighs> of father, son time. I mean, it's sad, but. That's also why I don't wear shorts on the plane. I don't want somebody's bare leg rubbing against mine. I love wearing shorts on the plane because no, it keeps people no. from getting into my space. Yeah. I'm new. <laughs> right? It, don't it want fr- that. It freaks you out, but I, I got the opposite. I'll, I'll wear shorts because it's like nobody's going to touch me in the leg. And then if they do touch me in the leg, then I like the challenge of looking at them, like looking in their eye. It's like a hug for like 20 or seconds or more. It's like, all right, which one of us is creepiest? Because I can be pretty goddamn creepy. Then you grab them by, grab them the, by face. the face. Inside of their head. Side of their head. So I really love you. We ought to just 
keep our legs touching all the way through the rest of this flight. Hey, where are you going? That's wrong. And that's our show. Thank you to Mark Sutton and Joe Bill of Bass Prov. You can learn a lot more about Bass Prov by going and searching for it on the internet or going and checking out uh, Joe Bill and Mark Sutton's Facebook pages. Both of those guys are uh, pretty cool. Thank you so much for them uh, taking time out of their very busy schedules being here for uh, Twin Cities Improv Festival uh, to sit down with me. Uh, but yeah. I'm but I'm here now with Philip. I'm here. One thing that didn't come out in the interview was uh, Bass Prov performed for the first time in over two years uh, in Miami earlier this year. They don't perform together very much anymore, so it's a, it was a real treat to have them here to perform and to sit down with the both of them in the same room at the same time. It doesn't happen a lot. Uh, so that was uh, that was pretty cool. And if you didn't get a chance to see him at Twin Cities Improv Festival, well. You are shit out of luck. <laughs> if you get the chance to see them, do. They're terrific. It is a unique show, like we talked about on the on this episode. They do things that you know shouldn't work, but really, really do. Uh, so check that out. Philip, what has been going on with you? Well, I am in some shows at Huge Theater right now. Yeah. Fridays, eight o'clock, and the award goes to, mm-hmm. and then Saturdays, ten thirty, the painters. Those runs go through August, uh, except for the first two weeks when Fringe happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as always, you can check out youtube.com slash philipsimondent. It's a good website. has some really good content on there. What are you up to? Uh, I have, what, one more show of the Sultans of Silly on Huge Wednesdays. Uh, that's Huge Theater, 3037 Lindale Avenue South in Uptown Minneapolis. Uh, you can go to Huge Wednesdays and see... The Sultans of Silly, along with Lavender Panic, uh, Squash Banana, and uh, Side Pickle. So yeah, it's a it's a terrific lineup right now, uh, and I'm very humbled and proud to be a part of it. Philip, how can people get a hold of us? Send us an email, nextstepbatpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on facebook.com slash nextstepbat, and check us out and other amazing podcasts on noisepicnic.com. Go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us, let us know what you think. Tune in next week when Side Pickle will be our guests. But until then, as always, Philip, it's good to have you back. Is it? <laughs>